<laughs> just his face was like, <laughs> who's this woman? Right. <laughs> and and why does she sound podcast. very white? Seriously, Zoom, no, do better. No, she does. She does. She does. So there, yeah, there are, this meeting is being recorded. <laughs> there's some, there's some, uh, bias things that happen at Zoom. Exactly. So, yeah, that's our They might need carry. a work by you, Abdul. Just saying. They might need something. They might need something. Maybe, <laughs> the, maybe they need to, to, to be with the Mexicans you were hanging out with because you, no. you were living your best life last week. Or whenever that was, you went. No, like, you were just. You sure were. Yeah. It was, it was two weeks ago. Okay, y'all. Mexico City was um, lit. It was so good. It was so good. But here's the crazy thing. The day before I got back, I was talking to my sister. I was like, my sister's called Joy. Fun fact, Joy, because she brings so much joy to everyone's life. Um, and I was like, hey, Joy, like if you had an extra day in Mexico City, would you stay? And we're both like, no, because we were so content. You know, it's like you oh, go really? somewhere and you just, yeah, it's like you just soak it all in. And you're like, you know what? I am just, my heart is so full. Like I'm going home. I'm just so happy. I'm on cloud nine. But yeah, it was perfection. That's if fun. Mexico City is not on your bucket list, we need to have a conversation. Really? Yeah. I'm not interested in Mexico City. Even really? after my photos. Oh my gosh, Andres. Are you serious? <laughs> Did I, I not mean, convince you? <laughs> <laughs> like i've been i've been to i've been to some cities in mexico and then we've been like on cruises and i kind of like he's been a day in port at at the at the at some of the mexican ruins and stuff like that Mm -hmm. but i've never been to mexico city itself Mm. well true and neither have i yeah that's that's very true but for some reason i don't know it just doesn't like Like, you know it's it's a big city it is Um, i don't know how crowded it is is it justine i mean how did how did it seem for you um okay so the one thing that i found very interesting about mexico city there's a lot of parallels between it and nairobi in kenya meaning that it's always busy like literally it could be like tuesday 11 a.m and you just have people kind of just sitting around having their breakfast listening to music i'm like yeah. Do y'all have jobs? And no, 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 seriously. And it's like, I mean, like, I'm sure they do, but I just think the culture is more lax than mm. a lot of Western oh, yeah. cultures. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So do yeah. they do the, the siesta thing like, like they do in Spain? Mm, you know, they probably do. I don't know. I don't know. But it was, it was good. And then on Saturday, we were, my sister and I were like, we're kind of just like walking around. Um, and there was a bunch of people dancing, like literally every corner in the city. There's just music being played, people dancing, mm-hmm. salsa. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, I love it here. Wow. Yes. Yeah, Great. Culture. See, my thing is, if, if I'm going to see that, I'm going to see it back home. <laughs> mm. <laughs> yeah. I could see I it could now. Yeah. If, <laughs> I don't think y'all should go, Andres. I don't think you and your family should go to Puerto Rico to visit. Because you, because you're not gonna want to leave. You're like, okay, okay, honey, that's exactly. it. I'm staying. We're, we're staying. <laughs> that's it. Sell the house. Quit the job. We're staying. Yeah. Do you when know my wife? Time? Do you know my wife? <laughs> I mean, she's the one like, let's let's not go back. Let's not go back. She's, if, this, if, if one of us two is gonna say that, it's, it's gonna, gonna be her. her. <laughs> like, what are we doing? Going back? Just forget it. Just, let's not yeah. take the trip back. Let's just stay here. Yes. When was the last time you were back? Oh, wow. 
uh, probably 10 years ago. Oh. 2011, is that right? Maybe more. Wow. And did Katie go with you? I don't know. No. No. Okay. Wow. You know, they weren't dating or married or anything yet. Oh, my goodness. Now, in 2011, Andres was kind of checking for at that point. No, here's the thing. We met, we met, we did the math. We met May 7th. Of 2011? Yeah. No. Was it? Yes. Ah. Uh, Interesting. Oh, because y'all met at one of my gigs. Yeah. We went to that thing where- the coffee uh, shop thing. Makai was, no, Makai was doing thing at um, the coffee shop. Yeah. Oh, it, it was one of your gigs. Yeah, that's, yeah. it is true. I, for, I, I forgot. I forgot. Yeah, because it was, yeah. it was Makai. No, no, it wasn't Makai. It was Words. Words well, Taylor. Yeah. Yeah. It was where, yeah, it was so words and Jolanda did something and then I did something. Yes. And yes, then, yeah. Yes, 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 yes. You're absolutely right. And yeah. I remember, I remember the 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 greeting because okay, so Justine, so 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 here's what happened. <laughs> Years before they started dating, my <laughs> wife had the bright idea of, you know, we should introduce Andres and Katie. And for years, like at least three years, I think. <laughs> For years, whenever we'd have something in our house, because Katie was always at our house, you know? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, she was just hanging as part of the family. She's hanging out. And whenever she was there, Andres wasn't there. Or, nice. And we'd invite him, and then he would, and then he'd, he'd be like, okay, I'll, I'll be there. And then he just, for whatever reason, didn't come or whatever. But so they didn't meet for years. And then the night they met, Andres goes up to her, like when Jean finally introduces them or something like that. And <laughs> he shakes her head and he goes, so. You're the infamous Katie. Wow. <laughs> you remember that? Yes. First lines. I had some, she keeps talking about these new balance that I had. Just my whole was <laughs> awful. According to her, she's a stylist. So, oh stylist my gosh. so look, look is important to her. And I didn't have the look. <laughs> Man, you married up, Andres. Good I job. Marry up, that's for sure. Good that's job. No, no doubt about that. <laughs> It's, oh it's well is it is it justine uh-oh <laughs> is it what sorry <laughs> he laughed his teeth all there. wait a minute i'm just i'm just getting i'm just getting ready for the next episode oh oh, oh that's oh, right oh yeah <laughs> we'll put a pin in that one is that we'll put a pin in that one all that right. is hilarious <laughs> oh okay <laughs> oh man Greetings and what's good, everybody. Welcome to the Christian Soldier Podcast, a social justice, faith-minded podcast featuring three friends from across the diaspora exploring life at the intersection of race, ethnicity, gender, culture, politics, and basically living while black. I'm Abdullah Muhammad. I'm Andres Amador. And I'm Christina Kinney. And we are just three POC in the cornfield, living life, loving Jesus, and fighting the good fight in these rough and tumble podcast streets. So soldiers, with everything going on in the country right now and its impact on all of us, we wanted to focus part of our series uh, of Black Love on the inner game. So namely, Black trauma and Black mental health. And so while these things are related, we believe they, that they are distinct enough to warrant two separate episodes. So for this episode, in honor of May being Mental Health Awareness Month, Andres and Justine and I are going to focus on uh, Black trauma. 
So what it is, its impact, and some of the ways that it shows up for many of us. Um, we're also going to talk about ways that we can do the work of recovering from trauma and practicing some healthy self-care. So, but before we start that discussion, I do want to give a bit of a preamble. First off, just by saying that we are not therapists or licensed clinicians. You know, we, we just want to make that completely clear. Um, and when we actually have our episode on black mental health, we're going to have a fantastic guest who is a mental health clinician. So you will want to stick around for that episode when it drops. Um, but so that said, though, I will, I will add some things about my relationship to mental health. Because for the first 10 or 12 years of my career, I worked in mental and behavioral health. So I started um, as a certified family teacher and a certified family life educator um, and a behavioral interventionist and social worker. So I've continued to work in that field in some capacity until as recently as about 2017 or so. Um, I'm a certified behavioral health technician and interventionist, um, which is, you know, essentially a kind of a, a paraprofessional certification. Um, but before, before doing more private sector and then later policy and government work, I supervised, um, behavioral health interventionists for a therapy clinic. And so I've supervised and trained folks doing similar work in a few different states. Um, so I've built and I've trained courses on child, adolescent, and adult mental health for state of Iowa social workers and for Iowa State University. And um, I've built coursework with uh, PhDs and MD clinicians, as well as developing my own content. And so I have, just as a matter of education, I have, um, have over 16,000 hours of clinical supervision with clients in various mental health issues, um, most of which in those hours are direct care client contact hours. Then I also have over... 400 hours. So, so in, in prep for this episode, I went back and did the math and looked at my certifications and everything. But I also have over 400 hours of CEUs on mental health, substance abuse, and trauma-related issues. Wow. So, so as part of my DEI work, and for those of you that are uninitiated, that's diversity, equity, and inclusion. One of my workshop offerings actually is on a schema-based approach to understanding implicit racial bias and racial trauma. Mm -hmm. So this is all in addition to, you know, my undergrad degrees in history and political science and my, you know, and my MA in political science and, and, my, and my certifications in, in public management and policy. And so, um, and honestly, just, you know, and I don't think I've ever even ever told you guys this, but one of the reasons why I'm not an MSW, you know, or an LISW, which is the licensed independent social worker or a licensed mental health counselor or a licensed trauma therapist, mainly is because I went into mental health and social work after I completed my undergrad degrees. So to get those certifications, you have to have the bachelor's degree first as the building mm -hmm. blocks. And so, um, so as a result, I didn't have the necessary uh, prerequisites without going back and finishing another undergrad degree in psychology or social oh. work. You know, so. Um, but I know that was like a really long preamble, but I thought that the context of that was necessary for this episode for our listeners, uh, because while much of what I'll say uh, probably is, I mean, obviously it's from my own experience, I do have a strong clinical foundation and at least some, you know, some credibility to speak on these topics more broadly. Um, and 
like we discussed in our Black Joy episode, part of Black trauma and cultivating Black joy, rather, is, is, is whiteness muting, making us mute ourselves and, and being small to fit into someone else's box, right? And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, the, all that's a bit of a ramble, but it's not coming from a place of ego. I, I just want to be really, I just want to lay out front that, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a fairly accomplished person in a few areas, mm-hmm. you know? And I put in the work and the hours and all of that in a couple of different places. And so um, I don't want to play expert or anything, you know, uh, but I do believe, again, that I've earned the right to speak credibly on this topic. Right. So um, that said, I'm aware that I'm not a credentialed current practitioner. And so those those kind of people would certainly be able to speak more authoritatively and credibly based on you know new research and current scholarship and that kind of thing way more than I am because I, I don't I don't keep up with it in that regard. Um, these you know these days I veer more into like political psychology and political socialization than instrumental health. So, um, but so just as you listen to the episode on black trauma and then the forthcoming one on black mental health. If you or anyone you know is going through a mental health issue, please contact a professional in your area. Um, and if you know, if if you would like, if you are in, if you are in the central Iowa area, you can certainly even hit us up on hello at christiansoldier.com. And you know, there's there are some places that we know of that we can kind of we can't give you referrals, obviously, but we can say, hey, this, here's a therapy clinic over here, here's a therapist over here. And that kind of thing. So, soldiers, because we're talking about the heavy um, concept of trauma, this will be a longer episode. And so, understand we're a long form podcast, right? You can listen to it in pieces and parts in 15, 20 minutes here and there. But um, sometimes breaking the conversation up into two episodes really kind of wrecks the flow a little bit. And so, this will be a long episode. We'll, we'll post it in its entirety, and you can rock with it for as long as you, as you need to, okay? So let's jump in. Um, so Justine, uh, Andres, do you guys have anything to add as we kind of go on our preamble before we start our discussion? Um, yeah. So I think the conversation specifically on Black trauma is very necessary because, first of all, it allows us to shed light on the reality that experiences with racism can and do cause trauma. Because I think a lot of times um, Black people and maybe BIPOC, generally speaking, like we honestly might not know that some of these um, constant experiences that we're having with racism and racial trauma are actually having an impact both on our mental and our physical health. And just off the bat, I just want to share a few quick statistics. Um, People from the BIPOC community are more likely to experience suicide. Um, and that is just based on the most recent data that I found from 2017, 3.5 times higher than members of the white community, right? Um, in 2017, suicide was the leading cause of death of African-Americans between ages 15 and 24. So think about that. African-American wow. youth in 2017, the second leading cause of death um, was taking away their lives, right? Um, and we cannot separate a lot of those mental health disorders from the reality um, of consistent race, racism and racial trauma. Then in addition to 
um, the mental health impacts of racial trauma. We also have things like diabetes, hypertension, obesity, heart disease, all of which right. are associated to PTSD, right? Um, uh, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I don't know, Abdul, but maybe in the mental health uh, episode, we'll talk about post-traumatic stress syndrome. Absolutely, um, yes. Very, very good things. Um, so yeah, you know, I just, I think so again, just to repeat my first point, it's necessary for us to shed light on the reality that, um, racial trauma does cause, um, mental health and physical health issues. And as BIPOC people and our white allies, it's necessary for us to know that that does exist. And how do we heal from that? How do we process those things, um, and get to a place of black joy? Then I think just secondly, on a larger systemic level, I believe this conversation is important because there needs to be an emphasis on the importance of cultural understanding, awareness, and competency mm. on trauma when training and evaluating mental health practitioners, right? Um, I think a lot of times, so, okay, just, just personally speaking, when I, and I am in the process of looking for a therapist, I'm like, I... I want to make sure that the person that I end up picking can actually help me and is culturally competent to the issues that affect me as a black woman. Yes. But in our community, how many people are actually trained or competent in this space? I don't know. Yeah. Um, there's probably not a lot of them. Yeah. Uh, I personally so, only know five. Isn't that crazy? I only know and five. they're probably all people of color. Is that, yep. that right? Yeah. So Exactly. Uh, of the of the people that I know personally, personally that are therapists in my area that that are culturally mm -hmm. competent. So all those five are all specifically African Americans. I know one Latina, mm -hmm. and I know one one um, older white lady who is she's mm -hmm. bomb, you know. But yeah. but of of the of the bucket of therapists, to say that there's only five or six or seven people that might be culturally competent to be able to deal with certain mental health issues that, that you impact the world with is really kind of mm -hmm. sad. It's sad, right? And then when we think about um, uh, just statistics are, sh are showing that BIPOC people are more likely to suffer from mental health disorders. So like we have a higher demand for mental health practitioners, but like a lot of mental health practitioners are not trained to help us. So there's definitely a gap there. Um, then finally, and we're going to talk about this a little bit during the episode, but also just talking about um, the, you know, like the generational impacts of trauma and racism and how that's passed on from one generation to another. I think these are things that are so necessary for us to be talking about. Andres, what are your thoughts? Yeah. Uh, another aspect to think about uh, when we talk about cultural competency, imagine somebody Hispanic. So then mm -hmm. that brings up Puerto Rican, you're Dominican, right. uh, you're from South America, Central America. And how does treating someone in a mental health capacity be capable of understanding that dynamic as well? Mm -hmm. uh, let's not add, let's say you're here in the States uh, uh, legally. And mm -hmm. what, is, what does that do to you? What kind of stress are you under? Yeah. every day so it's 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 a uh, it's quite the interesting um dynamic when you're really dealing with bipoc people and if, if more particularly in uh when you're hispanic 
uh, Linux, that's that's even an, an extra yeah. um, dynamic to add to it. Um, as far as uh, trauma, I, I, I saw a non-clinical definition as a, called a, a deep emotional wound. Mm. Um, Resma Menekin, whom we bring up a lot, a national speaker, licensed therapist, he defines trauma as anything that happens too much, too fast, or too soon. Mm. I thought that was that was interesting too. So the three of us, I mean, we've we've seen tons of images of people that look like the three of us getting killed without any consequences at the hands of people whose job is to protect and serve us. Mm-hmm. And yeah. and and we can and it, here's here's the thing about that. We can easily transfer ourselves into those images, right? Mm-hmm. Right. We can see loved ones in those images. I mean, right. What parent of a black boy doesn't worry mm-hmm. when that boy goes out into the street at night? Mm-hmm. My 16 year old, you guys know my 16 year old. Mm-hmm. He's taller than me. He already has a deep voice. You know, I mean, college women ask for his number. Oh, hey. <laughs> Let's not oh talk God. too much about Cringe. that. <laughs> yeah. But my thought is, you know, a cop pulls him over and how's mm-hmm. he's going to be treated. You know? Yeah. I think about that all the time. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's just the stuff that we have to think about that some of our brothers and sisters don't have to think about. Mm-hmm. I mean, all that worry. And, and, and we'll talk about it a little bit more later on, but you know, that gets passed on all those, all that, all that stress goes yes, from one generation to another generation to the next generation you know so when the people of color see bright lights in in the rear rear view mirror something is getting activated that's generational right yes and that cannot be communicated you just know mm-hmm. you know there's a reason that we have the talk and other folks don't have the talk quote unquote mm-hmm. you know so mm-hmm. anyway I'm, I, I'm, that's good. So I mentioned stress and trauma and being passed on to the next generation. And I also mentioned non-clinical versions of uh, trauma. But before we get too far, let's define these terms properly. So Abdul, why don't you define for us stress and trauma? Sure, sure. So according to the American Psychological Association, right? So stress, as they put it, is... Stress is the pattern of specific and nonspecific responses an organism can make to stimulus events that disturb its equilibrium and tax or exceed its ability to cope. So, basically, it's really like what, what the resume definition says. So, uh, stress, so, stress is anything that can throw us off balance, right? But it also um, supposes that there, there, that there is some sort of balance. Right, um, so it's the specific and non-specific responses to these kind of these these events. So, so there could be good stress and bad stress. So we call it like eustress stress and distress. So eu stress is in like euphoric and kind of the good the good for you versus dysphoria, bad bad for you. You know, um, so some people can actually use stress as a motivator. Like you know, if you have like a meeting deadline or you know, kind of when you're kind of under the gun that way, some folks can turn it on, and that's and that that type of stress can help them get 
kind of get the task done. Um, but if you have, you know, kind of a generally stressful event and, you know, typically you, sh you should be able to, in a healthy way, calm yourself down once that event passes. And so most people have already developed some sort of coping skills, whether they're, whether they're healthy or not. Some folks have already developed some sort of coping skills to kind of calm themselves down when they hit that, that, that kind of stress response or in a generalized stressor, right? Um, but trauma is different. So trauma, where, where stress, can, stress can be eustressful or distressful, trauma is always hurtful. Trauma is always harmful, right? So in that way, trauma is, is adverse rather than just being aversive. So, you know, an aversive stimulus is something that just is kind of maybe unpleasant. Right. So, um, but trauma is more associated with a significantly extreme or harmful life event. So when we talk about, uh, trauma, we think, we think automatically of like PTSD. So, um, the traumatic stress event being something like child abuse, natural disaster, um, sexual assault, or the PTSD associated with military service or domestic abuse, even a messy divorce. Um, a death, a death of a loved one that can keep you grieving well beyond what would be considered. I mean, like there's no such thing as an app, like an, an appropriate or average grieving time. That's, that's, you know, individual to the person. But if someone is, is grieving significantly the loss of the loss of a loved one after years, well, that person's death is most likely a traumatic event. Yeah. Right. Um, and so. When trauma is present or in a stress or something can trigger it, but when we're triggered in our bodies and our emotions or whatever, so in trauma, our brains go somewhere else, right? And so um, in, in trauma, we're basically reliving the traumatic event and our bodies can react as if we were reliving it over and over again. That, that's trauma. So for me, if I am entering, if I am entering in, just to give you a practical example, if I'm entering in a white, predominantly white church space, for me, that has amounted to trauma, believe it or not. Like I am, I am reliving something unpleasant and negative when I enter those spaces. So I don't go into them, mm. you know, because my being in those spaces and being and, and exiting those spaces were, were really significantly traumatizing event for lots of reasons that we've talked about some of those on the podcast and whatnot. So, um, over the long term, trauma can have a very harmful effect on us mentally and physically in so many ways. So that's the basic distinction between stress and trauma. So, um, well, yeah, before I go on, any, like, how do you guys interact with that? Uh, you know, and I'll say this before, like, I learned so much from this podcast. I never would have differentiated stress from trauma in the way that you just did, Abdul. Uh, you know, I, as I am kind of reflecting on 2020, I think a lot of gaslighting happened towards me. And now as I am kind of unpacking some of the conversations that I 
had. Mm-hmm. Um, and even sometimes kind of just like having those memories, like I'll have moments where like I'm in my apartment and I'm straight up having like an argument with someone or I'm still trying to defend myself from those conversations. Yeah. And I've been thinking, wow, Justine, like maybe those conversations were so deeply hurtful for you. And you might have thought, oh, you know, like we talked through it, like we had the conversation, we moved on. Um but looking back, I think just a lot of a lot of gaslighting happened last year and also this year and micro invalidations. And we're yes. going to be talking about that later on where um, some of my quote unquote friends who happen to be white um, would literally just minimize, just minimize the reality of what was happening in our country um, when it comes to the racial tensions that were going on. And then even in the manner in which they apologized, it was just like this really, oh, you know what? I'm sorry. Like, let's just reconcile and move on. And I'm like, no, you do not understand the depth and the gravity Mm. of what that conversation did to me. Yeah. You know, and later on, like, we're going to talk about healing. And I just, uh, you know, I wonder how I can now move on and start healing, you know, because like, I cannot just sit here. Um, you know, and be bitter about what happened. But yeah, I think just a lot of gaslighting and micro invalidations. That's really good. That's really good. My, my experience goes back to 2016. Because when we were pre- preparing for the, for the show mm-hmm. and just thinking of a traumatic experience, there's quite a few, but the, the first one that came to mind was just the day after the election, the Wednesday morning after the election, 2016. Mm. And I was getting, getting ready to go to work. Um, I, was, I was disoriented. Mm. I didn't know what to make of that election the night before. Yeah. I stayed up late. Um, well, I, I usually stay up late for election night anyway. <laughs> Yeah, we do. Texting all yes, night. Did you see that? What yes, do you think do. about <laughs> Right. Um, I, I remember that I, I cried that morning. So I was getting ready in the bathroom. You know, and that surprised me. Um, then I went to work. And it was November, central Iowa. But it was, it was nice enough that I could walk to work. Mm. But I was hyper vigilant. I was yes. looking around me. I was checking my surroundings. I was doing 360 degree, just looking everywhere. Head on a swivel. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what was I looking for? I, honestly, I was, I was thinking that someone was going to drive by and say something, let alone do something. Mm-hmm. Um, and do and by do something, just throw something at me or just get all courageous now because mm-hmm. you know, the world changed all of a sudden. I mean, really, I was I was ready to fight. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, say something. <laughs> wow. You know, and I I don't think I'll ever forget that. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I remember going then into the office and somebody asking me if I was okay. Because their neighbor's car, and it was a um, homosexual couple, and their car was like, something was written on it. 
I, I forget what was written on it. It was vandalized. It was vandalized. Yeah. That's the right word. It was vandalized. You know? Um, so it was, and I still think about that. Mm. Um, yeah, I could, I could still see my, myself just looking around, you know, mm -hmm. uh, there's one avenue that, that has a, a train overpass and I walked by and I, I don't know why, but you know, this high traffic area and I just kept looking, looking and looking, just seeing if something was going to happen. Mm. So yeah, I, that's, yeah, that's my, ex my experience there i mean there's others other stuff but yeah that, i think i think for a while that will be number one for me really yeah i mean there's there's plenty of other stuff that you know maybe even more so but for some reason it, yeah just the mm -hmm. disorientation and the surprise um mm -hmm. you know so mm. how about you abdul so have you guys heard of the um the ace study or the ace questionnaire a stands for adverse childhood experiences. I have not. So it's one of the so. it's one of the measures of trauma. So, for example, the CDC uses it. So it's it's a study that was that was um, done by Kaiser Permanente, like the 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 um, the large medical system. Okay, and they were mm -hmm. they had initially started doing as a questionnaire to look for commonalities for people who might be like more susceptible to heart disease or something like that, they developed this diagnostic tool because they noticed that so many, that, that there was such a high correlation between people who were coming to them with heart problems and having some other issues as presenting issues in like in their like biopsychosocial history. Mm -hmm. And so they developed this tool. And so basically, so the ACE tool, the adverse childhood experiences tool, is um uh is a tool that screens for they call it potentially traumatic events right that occur between in childhood zero to 17 and there's only 10 questions you know but if you have and just answer like like everyone you answer yes it was a point and so if you have you know above say an ace of six or seven then you've had a a, a highly traumatic event or, or, or child childhood history so um and they screen for things like uh, violence, abuse, and neglect in childhood, witnessing violence in the home, um, witnessing a family member die or attempt suicide, mental health problems in the family, substance abuse uh, problems. Um, I think housing insecurity is one of them. And so, but there's 10 of those things, right? And so um, a few years ago, about five years ago, there was, they, uh, the people who developed this tool also started to add in they called it racing aces so adding a racism component that that the experience of racism and and the experience of being born a person of color specifically an african-american person was also a traumatic lifestyle or life life event oh wow just yeah, so being just being black in america so says the CDC and Kaiser Permanente and other people who and clinicians who study this. The experience of being black in America is in in and of itself inherently traumatic because of implicit bias, systemic racism, and a bunch of other, other things. And there's lots of in pretty much any field you can think about corroborative research on that issue. 
So, but I mentioned all that because like, I'm sure like, you know, we, we, we have some of our listeners, you know, that our listeners are all over the political spectrum. And so, you know, and so if somebody hears you say, Andres, that man, that you, that you cried the morning of the election or that you were hyper vigilant about somebody saying something or doing something to you because your neighbor's car, who was a gay couple, got, got defaced and, and vandalized. I don't want listeners, I, I don't want you guys to dismiss that as a partisan thing, mm-hmm. right? This goes way, this is not just about, you know, a person's candidate won or lost. It's about what that signaled in the country with the specific candidate who won, right? So, and, 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 the, and the racism that was fomented during Donald Trump's campaign and that continue to be fomented all throughout his, his, his presidency. And so, yeah, I had people, I had like, I went to, I went to the, went to work the next morning and I had some of my liberal friends, you know, were coming to my office. Like they were crying and apologizing to me, (laughs) which I I didn't quite get, but I guess I get it on some level. Like, you know, like we're sorry that this happened. So like, okay, so yeah, I'm sorry too, you know? And yes, <laughs> I'm sorry too. I mean, like, say what you want I'm about sorry for y'all. Yeah, mm-hmm. like people who didn't like Hillary Clinton and those kind of things. Again, this isn't a partisan thing. It's about the things that were brought up in that campaign and some of the hatred that was stoked in that campaign points to pervasive trauma of people of color and poor folks and immigrants. And so, mm-hmm. those of us who were on the receiving end of those things, we felt some kind of way because. I mean, people, people that were L- people that are LGBTQ are wondering, okay, wait a minute. So now, um, all of a sudden are the, is the Supreme court decision going to get rescinded that says we can't marry or, um, like voter fraud, a bunch of different things. So yeah, but, but I wanted to men- mention that, that ACES thing, because that's a very important thing. Um, but so for me, you asked about my, my black trauma experience, sharing a black trauma experience. really. I would say the most salient black trauma experience that, 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 that I would, I would talk about for me is really the impetus for this whole podcast, you know, and that is the experience that I have being in ministry and being in pastoral leadership and coming to faith through the white evangelical church. And, um, you know, I've spoken at length in previous episodes about, some of the toxic things that happened when I was in that space. Um, and so the point that I'll make here about that is that really the trauma that I experienced in that space was, um, it, you know, it began to even escalate more in the run up to that election, but it was, but it was there way before that it had nothing to do. Like the election was like the, the, almost the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak. Right. And, and really, and really that whole election cycle just lifted the veneer of what was, of what was there the whole time. Um, and so, you know, for me, my being in that space and exiting that space really cultivated in, it was a death for me. Like it it was, it, it was equivalent to the death of a loved one because of the deep relationships I had in those spaces, you know? Um, so yeah, so that, and, and I would say it's not, it's not overstating it to say that, that, 
that it was, it was a, I call it the slow heartbreak. It was a death and a heartbreak all rolled up into one for me, you know, like it was, yeah. So that it was deeply traumatic because we lost relationships. We lost, you know, um, we, we have not been, we have not been back as, as church members or in professional ministry or, or in lay ministry or whatever, in any capacity, really since 2016, because of those deep traumas and that kind of thing. And in my community, you know, it's not that I want to like just bounce out and, and not go anywhere. Cause I would love to be plugged back into a fellowship. However, what I have noticed in my community is that if you are in leadership in a church and your job and your role is to is the soul care and shepherding and discipleship of the people in your flock and some of the folks in your flock are hurting specifically over racism and bias and having bad health outcomes and crazy stuff like that if those folks can't walk that with you they're not qualified to lead you and so i just i have decided for myself i will not submit myself to that kind of leadership because I believe it's ungodly. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I mean, I, and I certainly don't, I have plenty of friends who have chosen to be like, yep, God hasn't called me out of that. Good for you. You know, and the only reason why, and, 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 and I go, I go on with my friends about, I don't want y'all in that space. You know, I don't want them in that space because I know how that story ends. The second you start being too black and too free, these Negroes got to go. That's what it always amounts to. Yeah. And, and, and I see that with pretty much every single one of my people of color that I know in those spaces, they're all experiencing some kind of stuff around, around that because of the idolatry of whiteness in those spaces. Andres, how does this look like? <laughs> oh, no, I was just, uh, I was, I'm waiting on the transition. Yeah. So. <laughs> Um, topic. <laughs> yes. I, so I do have a transition for the next topic, but can I spill a little tea here for a second? Please do. Okay. So this yeah. one, like, here's another, like another black trauma experience for me, like working for me has been crazy. Like, it's just been, so, so, um, I'll give a specific, specific example. So I was a contract trainer under this, like a joint venture between Iowa state university and state of Iowa. Right. And so, um, you know, there of the three contracted trainers and a couple of support folks, um, including like you know, like the person who ran the project was a PhD academic, um, and we were we were contracted to train to train social workers specifically in diversity and inclusion and mental health and and a couple of other types of things, right? And so, the person who was my boss at the time had never done social work, had never supervised or trained social workers. She had a PhD and that was it. And the PhD wasn't in the discipline for which she was running the program for. So here I am in this entire training team with people from from the university and from state government. And I am the only one in that space who A, was a social worker, B, supervised social workers, C, trained social workers, (laughs) you know, and every time I would have conversations or we would have meetings about course development and everything, 
there was always some kind of slight or some kind of micro invalidation or some kind of, you know, um, where like the rules of whiteness kick in and people are giving you a moving target, but you're not supposed to comment on the fact that you know it's a moving target because if you do, then you're being somehow <laughs> negative or disruptive or something, right? Yeah. <laughs> and so, and, and I remember making the comment once after one of those training meetings where it was very clear that, well, we're not going to tell you what we want, but we'll know what we don't want when we see what we don't want. Goodness. And I, and I just called that out. I said, listen, with all due respect, it seems to me like you're not able to tell us what you want, but you want us to deliver something for you to say, nope, I don't want that. Hmm. Right. And just me saying that, pink faces and, <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, <laughs> one of these days. We got to have this thing just recorded live. Christine's <laughs> face on Zoom. <laughs> okay, y'all. I am literally making faces because what Abdul is sharing is so standard. White people, you are not used to being held accountable. And the moment someone calls you out, it's literally like the world is ending. Yes. Anyway, you can keep going. Yes. Up. No, I mean that. So, I mean, yeah, there the, again, I'm the only person who had experience in the thing that they were asking us to do, right? And, and so <laughs> anyway, um, especially, and so I have had the most toxic, so the intersection of being, uh, of being male and being black in social work for me has been deeply problematic right. because what's really, really interesting is women are, in my experience have been like these, okay, so, you know, Women, women are strong and capable and outspoken and knowledgeable and all those things. But if I do that, mm -hmm. it's intimidating. It's toxically masculine and some of those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. And so the same people who talk about double standards continue to perpetuate double standards. And so, you know, and I've had, I've counted them. I've, got, I've had like 12 female supervisors in my career. Of the 12, I had two that weren't like that. Oh, the rest of them were just hot messes. And, and just, if I'm, y'all know me, I'm direct. I'm never mean, but, I, but I'm direct. I just say it. And if I say it, whatever it is, again, pink faces, <laughs> puffing and puffing, passive aggression, you know, thou shalt not, like it's the 11th commandment, thou shalt not dis, distress the white woman. <laughs> there's a face again there's a face again <laughs> so i cannot yeah. so i mean so that so that yeah that's uh, the uh, again a trauma experience but then also that goes right into kind of some microaggression stuff <laughs> yes <laughs> they're laughing at my faces anyway uh so they are, on they the are priceless right now i'll just say it <laughs> I should have taken we a screenshot. Maybe like a YouTube version of our podcast, but that might be way in the future. Yeah, in we the just future. might. I don't know. I, I I just may actually just post a clip of your face in this. Oh. <laughs> just put it in the show notes. Just put it in the show oh. notes. Here's, here's Justine's surprise face. Here's what, we were, here's, here's what we're talking oh, about. Lord. There's something on, on Instagram that I saw talking about 
facing the consequences, what Justine was talking about, it says facing consequences for your actions isn't persecution. Right. Yes. <laughs> yes. So don't feel like you're being, you know, exactly. persecuted just because yes. somebody just point out the obvious or pointed out what you did was wrong. Like, mm-hmm. yeah. Anyway. Or even just asking the asking a question causes distress. Just asking a clarifying, not even a question seeking information or a, a question making a point. A question seeking information is seen as threatening if it comes from the wrong face and the wrong lips. Exactly. So sorry, exactly. Jay, go ahead. No, you're fine. And just, just a very quick side note. If you are um, a white person or a person who has, I guess is called white in our country, um, and you're listening to this podcast and you're finding that maybe you tend to react in that way, I would challenge you to spend more time in diverse circles because I really think that if you spend more time with people of color who who love you and care about you and want you to grow, you're going to get used to being called out. Okay? You're going to get if, used to being no, called out. For real. You know what I mean? No, I'm just serious. But like some no, of I know you, what you're saying. It just, it right? just sounds, yeah. Exactly. But some of you only spend time with people that look like you and people that never challenge you. So the moment you're challenged, mm-hmm. you're just not able, like you just don't have right. the bandwidth to handle that. And so I think part of right. um, part of actually decolonizing your whiteness is being able to handle the truth and allowing yourself to be challenged by people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, so anyway, we're going to keep talking about microaggressions, right? Uh, so microaggressions actually show up in three different ways. But first of all, I found a fantastic definition for this by the amazing Dr. Yolanda Flores. And I'm going to add her, um, her just like the link to this resource on our liner notes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and she defines microaggressions as statements or actions towards the members of a marginalized group that are regarded as, and these statements are usually subtle, but they are nevertheless hurtful and they are form of discrimination, right? Now, these statements or actions are usually, but not always unintentional and unconscious. So again, a lot of times they are unintentional and unconscious, but not all the time. Sometimes they can be very intentional. And again, they show up in three different ways. The first one is micro assaults. So micro assaults are intentional and overt sorry, intentional and overt acts of discrimination. So an example could be the one that uh, Andres brought up. Uh, So this could be the deliberate posting of swastikas, confederate flags, racial slurs, racial epithets, vandalism, um, you know, on cars or the walls of buildings. Um, I remember when I was at Iowa State, wow, this was actually around 2016, 2017. I think literally maybe every other month there would be an email being sent out about um, yes. swastikas or racial hate posts. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a season. And, and, and I, folks I, putting I, them I, on Twitter, like, yeah. oh my like goodness. with their picture next to the thing, like, yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. Right, right. And that was commonplace um, at Iowa State University. I hope things have changed over the past years. Um, another common example of micro assault could be y'all so oh my goodness this one hurts my heart but i know um in a few restaurants um especially maybe like in texas florida california kind of like the bigger states there are servers at restaurants who will turn down 
Black and Indian tables because Black and Indian people, quote unquote, do not tip. And so when they get assigned a table and they see that that table um, has a Black family or has Black people on it or Indian people, they're like, nope, I'm not going to take that one. Someone else can take it. Come on. That is. Now, are you, are you, you mean like, um, like East Indians or Native American folks? Uh, a native. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and sometimes I'm just like, that is, I don't know y'all, but like, I feel like that's such a horrible stereotype that black people don't tip. Like that is anyway, that's yeah. another one that came to mind. Yes. Okay. The second form of microaggressions, micro insults. This is a comment that communicates lack of respect for a particular demographic by implying that a member of that group is an aberration to the stereotype of the said group. Yes. And y'all, and we've I all been that one. We've oh, all been yes. Because that was my example. That was my, was, yeah, I had that one too. I mean, that's. <laughs> right. And I was going to say like, y'all, I kid you not. Yeah. Okay. So a few examples, y'all, that come up uh, of micro insults. And this one, I get this a lot. Mm. Wow, your English is so good. I knew it was coming. I <laughs> yeah. knew it. I knew it. <laughs> you are essentially implying that Kenyans cannot speak good English, and therefore I am an aberration to your stereotype. It's an example of a micro insult. Another one that a lot of black women uh -oh. receive. Oh, you're pretty for a black girl. Huh? That one. That one hurts my heart because that happened to my daughter. Yes. And, and here's y'all. So here's the thing, right? I have had conversations with a lot of my black female friends. And when they share, you know, they're like, yep, yeah, people tell me that I'm pretty for a black girl. And I'm like, okay, you know what? Oh I am God. going to engage. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I am going to engage my mathematical brain. Okay. I'm just going to break <laughs> it down very logically here. Here comes the engineer. Every, Becomes Jarvis. Hang on. <laughs> if every other girl, sorry, if every other black girl has been told that she's pretty for a black girl, then maybe black girls are pretty. I mean, I don't know. Like if literally every other black girl is being told that she's pretty for a black girl, then maybe black girls are just pretty. And like, you, you know, like just let go of yeah. that stereotype. Okay. Yeah. That's another common one. Oh, yeah. Another common one, you guys. And this, again, would happen when I was at Iowa State. I hope things have changed. But anytime um, you meet a black man who happens to be tall, you assume that he's an athlete mm -hmm. or he's an entertainer. And you're grossly shocked when you realize that he's not that. He could be an engineer. He could be a social worker. He could be a teacher. He could be lots of other things. That is an example of a micro insult. So I... I often get coach. Oh, yeah. Because I'm not tall and I'm fluffy. <laughs> so you know? football coach. Yeah. So I get, what yes. Assuming. Yes. Or, or, or just like outright, you know, Hey, where'd you play ball when you're younger or something like that? Oh, oh my goodness. Abdul, are you, are this you even just athletic? worthy? This is just, am I even athletic? You are. I don't, <laughs> I don't are know. You what? Are you what? You ask me, am I even athletic? No, no, no. No, hey, I am. Right. I am Kenyan. I'm Kenyan, and I am. I have zero athleticism. Like I will yeah, not move unless I have to. No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. that run is an long example distance. of a micro insult. I, I wish so, I did. Okay, I grew up playing basketball and football, like in the neighborhood and that kind of stuff, right? And so 
I was never the guy who was going to get the basketball scholarship or the football scholarship. Actually, I could have got a football scholarship. Um, but yes, now my wife would say that I'm no longer coordinated and, and <laughs> because I'm not anymore, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I used to be a fairly athletic. I mean, I could, wow. I could, I could dunk a basketball until I was like 31 or so years old. Nice. Yeah, I, I, I play, I've never played organized ball and I've never dunked or anything like that. Or Yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. Oh, no, but I can I can relate on that on that. Oh wait a minute. I'm sorry. Would you want to say something else? No, no, no. Were you going to share something about micro insults? Yeah, because the one that I get, you know, it's like when people realize I'm Puerto Rican. Oh. Right. Yes. Like, oh. Oh. Mm-hmm. You. Oh. You know. Uh, wow. Like there's a bias against how. Puerto Ricans should yeah. sound right. and and look. and look and look and <laughs> I don't that fit I don't fit those boxes. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know. Um, Interesting. Yeah, that. Yeah, your micro your microaggressions come from your bias. They yeah, do, and your stereotypes. Right. Well, yeah. And here's so here's one from the they all look alike to me file. Oh, <laughs> that. Andres and I have gotten more than more than a few times. <laughs> he, he's laughing because he knows. So, so a lot of folks think that we're brothers, right? Because right? you know, I mean, both of us are black men. You know, we're best friends, and we look. You know, we, we don't look alike, but we spend a lot of time together. So, but we were. So there's just one time we were we were somewhere. It was what was it Omaha somewhere, and um, I was leading worship, and then afterwards. Someone comes up to Andres and tells him, "Great job with the leading worship." <laughs> like three times. <laughs> what? It's like by the third time I was saying thank you. I was like, <laughs> I didn't like no, it's not me. Oh, third time, yeah, sure, yeah, no, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Thank you. Oh my goodness, it's, it's so nice. Yeah, yeah, that's sad. Yes, it is. But here's the thing, though. I mean stereotyping does help i mean it's not like are we yeah. saying we shouldn't stereotype we're gonna stereotype there, I mean, yeah let, there let's is be a, fair yeah. let's be actually fair that's good yeah because that, that's how the brain works yeah you know i mean this is just this is just a shortcut with so much information that we have we do this we're not saying that you know we have to be like super perfect and we're all of us are going to stereotype, you know, uh, some of y'all can't dance. Can't. That's a stereotype. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, no. So, you know, this is one of those conversations too, where a little bit of grain of salt, you know, it's not like, it's not like we don't know why it happens. Right. It's just, it's just, at the same time, it's 2021. Mm-hmm. We've had enough of these conversations. Right. right. Some of these things do have to be let go. Mm-hmm. You, it, it has to stop. <laughs> well, and then there's this. You there, know too much. There's, there's the, okay, so there's the consequence of these things, right? right? So, um, and, and that's why academics study these things. So. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, Justine, the woman that you brought up that, with the definition of microaggressions. And again, all this will be in the show notes. And 
um, Dr. Daryl Wing Sue, who was one of the people who first coined the term and did some of the studies around it, right? So, they're, like, they're, these things have impact. So, they do. I was just recently reading, it was, it was a December 2018 academic study. Um, and it was a study of black men. Because you were Yes, it was. I was bored. <laughs> but okay, but this again, I, I, I cannot. I don't know how you two do it. Okay, but okay, academic so, stuff. But this is how I got to keep my game sharp, right? Because I, I teach and train on implicit bias and all that kind of stuff. So I, yes. I got to keep them on the, on, on the stuff. Yes, so, yes. but there was, there was a December, a couple of studies. One was December 2018. Um, and it was kind of a small, a small study, right? This, I think 12 or 14 uh, people was the university people studied. But there was another one where they studied like 661 black men, but it was specifically looking at microaggressions at work. Okay. Mm. And so the study found that in four areas of context. So one area was um, like uh, in the workplace where you have kind of different worlds and different rules for different people. You know, um, another area was um, like cognitive perceptions of the workplace the psychological costs of the things in the workplace and different coping mechanisms used at work. So the study found that, um, that the black men who were participants in this study, they found that, um, I'm going to read the excerpt here. The study says participants' experiences confirmed that microaggressions produced an environment to the exclusion of black men, wherein they censor their, their self-presentation in the effort to conform to white masculine norms, and they do so for self-preservation and protection. Hmm. Additionally, participants generally express the necessity of maintaining a positive attitude, ignoring the subtle invalidations, and reaching or and reacting with good humor and equanimity. So basically. If you are a black professional and you're a male, you got to go in there and be like Carlton Banks. <laughs> you got to go in there and be neutered and smiley, smiley and all that. And so now here's the kicker. Here's the result. The people in the study also reported um, feeling depression and anxiety, negotiating between confrontation and self-preservation. You know, am I going to lose my job? Am I going to mess up my income for my family, that kind of thing. Um, and then also feeling the need to represent one's race, right? And so I bring up that study because that's been my experience uh, at, at work in pretty much every way. Like when I read those things, it was like they were reading my mail, you know? Um, and so, and then there's another one where they talked about uh, these racialized contradiction and contradictions and whatnot. And, and so what they call black men being in historically white institutions or HWIs. And so where they were told, okay, so um, if you're told you work hard, you, you, you know, you, you, you work hard, then you'll achieve. It's the whole meritocracy myth. Right. Mm -hmm. And so even in the, even in the, the pursuit of that, the study found a negative outcomes related to income negative outcomes related to mental health and experience um, and like, like just kind of the cognitive experience in those spaces, just really, really, really troubling stuff. Right. And so stuff like just kind of like race battle fatigue stuff, mm -hmm. 
Okay. And so um, here's what they said. Black men in those spaces experience what they called um, gendered racism, which is, you know, and which women experience this too, the whole thing being driven by white male normativity. Okay. Mm. Um, and so they looked at microaggressions and what they called um, blocked opportunities and mundane, extreme environmental stress that results in all the stuff that you mentioned, Justine, hypertension, high blood pressure, um, obesity, shortened lifespans. These men, they found that the, the more education you had and the higher up you go, the more of these things you experience. And oh, by the way, when you're experiencing them, you're experiencing them to the tune of black men make roughly $77.10 or 77 cents on the dollar that mm -hmm. white men make so or similarly educated people. Yeah. So not even, you're not even making the same money for the no. stress. Bingo. You're getting the stress, yeah. your health is and deteriorating and you're making less. Yes. Let's not talk about black women. Right. right. While pursuing the thing that they told you to pursue. Right. Mm -hmm which is you work hard, you get this, you get that, right? Right. <laughs> so the thing, so following the script is quite literally killing us because mm. on the bookends, the lowest life expectation is black men. The highest is Asian women. Mm. Hmm. Oh gosh. Interesting. Yeah. Yes. So, <laughs> so oh anyway, I'll put this study also, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll put the study in the show notes and, you know, you may not be able to get it if, if, you, if you're not attached to a university or um, can a, a place where you can actually get, get the full article, but you can at least read the abstract. Mm -hmm. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Thanks for sharing that, Abdul. And, you know, as you were talking, um, I'm just thinking back to my grad experience and in my department, and I was in a pretty big department because I got my graduate degree in mechanical engineering and we did not have a single black male. We did not have a single black male. We had lots of Asian students, lots of international students, quite a few white students, um, lots of white males, a few black females, no black males. Wow. And part of that, is it because black men are not smart and they don't want to get degrees in mechanical engineering? No. It is because of all these recurring experiences in our education system that can be very yes. discouraging. Yes. And so for listeners, if you've never heard of it, there actually is a thing called NSBE. It's the National Society of Black Engineers. So yeah. yes, black folks can be engineers too. <laughs> Preach. <laughs> okay. The final form of microaggression is microinvalidations. And this is just, just very easy to understand. It is a comment that dismisses the experiences of members of a historically disadvantaged group. Okay, the first example that comes to mind, y'all, is, um, you know, when athletes who are, okay, uh, black athletes who are very highly paid, they are celebrities, they're very highly celebrated and highlighted in society. When they dare, okay, when they dare to, oh. um, to, to bring up or to stand up for racial justice, a lot of times they're, they're, they're told, oh, hey, shut up. We're paying you money. Just do your job. Just play ball and shut up, right? That's an example yes. of micro-invalidation yes. because essentially you are implying that all the money that they get paid, all the celebrity status that they have, all the access and networking and the 
is, is it sponsorships where like you get to endorsement endorsements yeah. that they get um, erase their experiences as people of color, which is obviously not true. Uh-huh. So shut, um, up, shut up and dribble. Right. Exactly. Right. Right. That's an like example. LeBron, like LeBron was told. Right. Exactly. Calling Karpenik. Um, yep. So lots of micro invalidations and y'all listen, like just the three of us, like we could write a book a book on microaggressions that we've experienced. So these are very real things. Um, Again, I do want to give credit where credit is due. I got these resources from Dr. Yolanda Flores, and I will link her notes in the show notes below. Yes, very good. Oh my gosh, y'all. It's time for our liner notes. I was listening to one of our, our soldiers whom I so deeply treasure, um, he might be listening to this, but he enjoys our liner notes, and that just makes me so happy. Oh, dig okay. it. Right. Dig it. All right. Yeah. All right. Um, okay, y'all. So this is where we take a break from a very heavy conversation. Talking about black trauma is not easy. Um, so I know that I've been looking forward to this segment. And this is where we share just something that's given us life. It could be a book, a song, things that are happening in our lives. Um, growing pains can also be a form of joy. In life giving. So, Andres, what do you have to share today? All right. I want to say Kenyan and Botswanian radio again, but I'm not. I'm still, I'm still on that. <laughs> still on that. <laughs> it's a vibe. Anyway, um, oh, but then there's also Virgin Islands. I've been radio? listening to that too. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah. St. Thomas and John. Anyway, anyway, no. Um, my liner note is old Kanye West music. Okay. Um, I was listening through Spotify and I don't know how that, no, no, no. Well, it's how my brain works. I'm listening to one thing and then all of a sudden I think of a song. So I thought of Touch the Sky, you know, Kanye song and the the Curtis Mayfield's Move On Up sample, Uh you know, and then, then I was down the rabbit hole and then it's all falls down. (laughs) <laughs> and then I ended up with the realest and best worship song. One of the best. It's Jesus Uh-oh. Walks. <laughs> mm-hmm. God show me the way because the you devil know, tried to break me down. Right, you know, here, here. So I, I even looked up some of the lyrics because like, look, to the hustlers, killers, murderers, drug dealers, even the strippers, Jesus walks with them. To the victims of welfare, for we living in hell here. Hell yeah. Jesus walks with them. Now hear ye, hear ye, want to see thee more clearly. I know he hear me when my feet get weary, because we're the almost nearly extinct. We rappers is role models. We rap, we don't think. I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school needed Jesus. The way school need teachers, these are tough lyrics. (laughs) 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 I ain't here to argue about his facial features or here to convert atheists into believers. I'm just trying to say the way school need teachers, the way Kathy Lee needed Regis, that's the way I need Jesus. (laughs) 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 So for, yeah, Kanye is crazy, but, but he, he's a good artist. Like Kanye is a dope artist. He is like, like. Like, I miss you, Kanye. Yeah, don't take nothing away from him because yeah, but the boy, yeah, the, the boy's got skills. Yes, yes, yes. I got, I got one more, and it's a quick one. Because so liner notes, 
stuff that's giving you life, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. We are recording on my mother's birthday. <gasps> Mama Z, happy the birthday, Mama who Z. literally gave me life. <laughs> yes, happy birthday, Mama. So I just want to give shout out to mom. Um, all the stuff she's been through. Obviously, none of us, none of us can ever repay our mothers. Yeah. yeah. Um, here's the thing, though. We were talking about um, school because in Puerto Rico, she put me in a Catholic school mm-hmm. and it's, it's a private school. And in the uh, mid seventies, you know, she was, I mean, she was making some money, but it wasn't like, mm-hmm. you know, ridiculous money, you know, um, she was telling me how much she paid a month for private school. It was $80, right? So <laughs> mid seventies, I'm like, well, yeah. okay, $80. But then you translate That's that to 2021, right? Ooh. It's over $400 oh. cost of inflation. Cost of inflation. Mm-hmm. Now think of four hundred dollars a month. Right. You know. Yeah. So. Yeah. So we gave her a gift uh, earlier today, and um, we're going to your town, Abdul. Oh, you want <gasps> you coming to my city? We're coming to your city. Let's go, Kenny and I and her. We're gonna go see Mark Anthony. <gasps> oh, okay. <my> <laughs> That's exciting. Oh, that's so, so fun. So she hasn't seen Sprint him in f- forever at the T-Mobile Center. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they changed it because Sprint's no, not a uh, thing anymore. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> right. she's never been in a hotel room, so we got her her own hotel oh, room. Oh, my goodness. Does it have a jacuzzi? I don't know. I don't think so. I don't think so. Wow. That's, so, that's awesome. That's Happy birthday, so Mama Z. Yes. So it's, uh, it's 75. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Oh, that's great. That's so, great. How about you, Justine? What you got for lighter notes? Oh my gosh. Um, okay, so I'm gonna share two. One, I was in Mexico City. Y'all, Mexico City was everything. Literally everything. Like I cannot th- I cannot remember the last time I felt just so happy, so free, so oh, I was on cloud nine. I loved it. Um, if you are interested in visiting Mexico, I would challenge you to not go to like the popular destinations like Cancun and, and Cabo check out Mexico city. I think you'd really love it. Um, I think the second thing for me is I am just in a season of really, really embracing growth and not being afraid to grow and challenge myself and have boundaries and even say no to things that I have done for years, you know? Um, and just being open to whatever the next season of my life entails. I turned 29 in like two months. Y'all probably feel old when wait, I say this. Wait, you're in your 20s? How did I not wait? Yeah. Oh, no, we're done. Wait, what? I thought you knew that already. <laughs> I am in my 20s. I am in my 20s. My late I 20s. You were in your, I thought you were in your early 30s. Like, you know. For real? Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to make you older, but I thought, you know, it is, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of people say that. So that doesn't, I I mean, I think it's just the maturity. Yeah. Thank you. Um, Yes. So as I, as I am looking forward to my thirties, cause I'm going to be 30 next year. I'm just like, wow, I wonder what the next, you know, like how can I start building for the next decade and kind of just thinking about that. So that's been good. (laughs) Dual. So, so I. I'm going to be 49 in five days. <laughs> <laughs> not that bad. It's not that oh, bad. Wow. It's not that bad. 
So yeah, I'm 20 years old. You're 20 years. Oh my god. <laughs> We're 20 years older. Oh my god. Oh my. <laughs> what? Okay. Okay. Like thing. if this helps y'all feel better, you guys look way younger than 50. <laughs> I mean, 49 is basically 50. Well, you know why, right? Because <laughs> black, black don't, don't cry. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I don't. I, I surprise people when I t- when I say my age. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So, well, other than other than my son giving me life, y'all saw him coming and give me a hug mm-hmm. <laughs> as we're recording here. But uh, honestly, what's been giving me life lately, you know, and and I'll talk about this a little bit when we get into self care. But I've just been like, I've been down some music rabbit hole too, and I'm I'm a hip hop like I love I love like neo soul and hip hop and like like boom bap hip hop. I don't fool with the dirty South stuff other than outcast. Cause it's outcast, you know? Right. <laughs> and, and, you know, like maybe some, some, some old school too short. Cause that's cause I grew up with that, <laughs> but Hey, but that new J Cole though, I haven't heard it yet. Oh. I keep hearing it. I keep yes. Hearing yes. So, yes. Yes. So I've been so. on Nas and black thought. Oh. Oh, <laughs> cause a couple you know, of slouches. <laughs> yeah. Just slouch, just slouches. But, and I feel I feel bad for the brother because so the the Nasir album that came out a couple of years ago that uh, that it, it it only sold forty nine thousand copies. But you know nobody why, right? bought it. You know why, right? Because of Kanye. <laughs> yeah, I mean Kanye produced the record and then dissed it. Oh no 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 no! I think Jay Z came out the same time. Mm. Oh yeah. For the the four forty four, yeah, just yeah, eclipsed. See, yeah, I've been on that one too, by the way. Mm-hmm. But but specifically, there is a song on the Nasir album, "Cop Shot the Kid." Oh, yeah, that has it's and you know Kanye can flip a sample like nobody else. You know, yes, he can. So he flipped, he flipped, uh, he flipped Slick Rick Children's Story. He put a Richard Pryor sample in there. And anyway, the song is Cop Shot the Kid. Uh, but, you know, it's Nas doing his thing. It's Kanye doing his thing. It's boom bap hip hop. It's just 808 boom, boom, cat, boom, boom, cat. And it's just, it's just dope. So I've just been just, just what's giving me life lately is just, you know, we used to call it consciousness hip hop. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they call it nowadays, but it's just the true hip hop that came from that came from talking about the struggle mm-hmm. you know so going back to sugar hill gang and don't push me because i'm close to the edge <laughs> you know uh to to chuck d and public enemy even some of these new school cats but you get a dude like black thought on the mic you get a dude like Nas on the mic and every verse is gold but Nas gets a bad rap because like Somebody called him Nas is one of the most boring goat ever. Oh. <laughs> you know, because Nas is up there on the pantheon of hip, like on, on the pantheon of MCs, but people don't like him. It's the strangest thing. Like they respect the game, they just don't like him. So I've been, mm-hmm. so, so I've been deep. So what's been giving me life lately is just down the rabbit hole on that. I've been listening to like specifically to that 444 album, but Nas, that, that, that J album, and, um, Black Star, most F and Talib Kweli, or Yasin Bey and Talib Kweli. So those four artists with, with a little splinker, spr- sprinkling of black thought in there is where I've been the last 
the last couple of weeks. Long live hip hop. All right, y'all. Yeah, that, see, the, those are good liner notes. Like, right? Like, we are, all of that was even going back to our cultivating black joy episode, right? All of that is just cultivating joy. Um, and really, it's our liner notes, even before we, we brought this up as a series, our liner notes and the reprieve from the fight has been a way ongoing that we try to recover from um, black trauma and kind of heal and, and, and restore, right? So, um, and so we're going to spend the next, like the next part of our episode here, um, talking about three specific areas that we recover from black trauma. And that is, um, so setting boundaries is one, cultivating space is another, and then just self-care is the third. But before we do that, guys, one of the things that comes up for me is also thinking about how people like fetishize black trauma. And, you know, like we, t we opened this series in a, a few episodes ago talking about the black trauma movies and, and people fetishizing the struggle and people fetishizing that kind of thing. So, so when you guys think about that and how people fetishize um, our trauma or our experience or those kind of things, what comes up for y'all? Yes, you know, and actually, um, as I was thinking about this in preparation for the for the for this episode, I was just thinking through which black movies aren't the most awards, right? So this year, I watched the Oscars, and y'all, I kid you not, Judas and the Black Messiah picked up, cleaned up everything, right? And now I watched Judas and the Black Messiah. We actually watched it together, the three of us did. Yes, um, with 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 other with the, people, yeah. it was with, with like, it was a great movie, right? It was a great movie, but why is it that? Our society has a hard time celebrating other aspects of blackness, right? So, okay, y'all, just think back through the last 10 years, the past 10 years, which movies, which black movies have been highly acclaimed? Judas and the Black Messiah, 12 Years a Slave, don't even get me started on that one. Right. Um, get Out, which y'all, I never watched that one. I don't know. Okay, so here's the thing. Okay, it's, yes, it's a black trauma movie. But Get Out is really good. It's yeah. incredibly creative. Jordan Peele is, I, I'm going to call it's him, fire. I'm, I'm going to put him up there like with Rod Sterling from Twilight Zone. Wow. It's, it's that good. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and Dave I'm Chappelle needs to stop saying that he copied his stuff. Maybe he, he did, did, but no. The stuff that he's put out since mm -hmm. their show yeah. shows that yeah. there was a He's lot good. of creativity yeah jordan had something brain. else already there yeah. Yep, yeah yep 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 he just needed the vehicle yep <laughs> yes uh so anyway what do all these movies have in common trauma right yep. Yep. um black trauma sells mm -hmm. and black trauma has also been so normalized that when we see a different story we have a hard time enjoying it like y'all if i'm being honest um anytime we have movies that talk about like black love i'm like uh i just could never watch that I'm serious. But on the flip side, if it was like a white rom-com, maybe I could watch it, you know? And again, like, I think just part of that is, is me internalizing what black entertainment should look like. Um, so yeah, I think movies are just the biggest thing that come to mind. Another thing is, um, I know, and this would happen a lot last year and just over the past five years where images of 
dying or dead black bodies have also become so normalized in our news. Um, I mean, like literally if guys, like if you just watch the news on any night, there's probably going to be a video of a black person being killed. You know, like that is, that is just so normalized. Like, why is that the case? Videos all over the place on YouTube of black men being, being violated. Um, so yeah, although that's, that's a more, um, maybe subtle and covert example, I definitely think it's one of the ways in which we have fetishized, um, and normalized black trauma. I, yeah, I think what you're talking about justine is like it's the closest thing maybe that dominant culture will do to admitting guilt wow so just go with me on this on this for a second that's you know really, what i mean yeah wow so rather than lament they will expose themselves to these images you know the help and all these other types of movies uh. and just like self flagellate Gosh. Like two hours, mm-hmm. two the hours of shame. Purple. Yeah, yeah. Okay, but hold up. Oh, flag on the play there. Don't be dissing what? my color purple. <laughs> no, nobody's dissing. Okay, yeah. here's the you thing. Know, I, I mean, like, I thing? love the movie, but oh my god, as a I've never black seen it. woman, oh, I, I've never seen that it. That movie. <sighs> anyway. Yeah, yeah. Should have gotten an Oscar. Yep. Oprah and oh, Whoopi, Whoopi and Spielberg all, and Chrissy Jones. All From what I hear, because like I said, I haven't seen it. So I think you should. Yeah. I'm, yeah. I've, I've meant <laughs> no. to. I just, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. And the book was better. Like, like the book. Well, yeah. 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 The, 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 the book was better, but the, but the movie, mm. it's a classic. The, the movie is the culture. It's, it's, it's a classic. It mm. And it that is. scene where they kick in, they sing, uh, God trying to tell you something. Mm. My eyeballs sweat on that scene oh, yeah. every time. Every yeah, time. It's yeah. a powerful scene. I weep when I'm watching that movie, y'all. Yes. Wow. Come on now. Wow. Me and you, us never apart. Maki, da, da. Oh, Come God. on now. Can't. You're going to make me cry. It's my color purple, man. Come on now. Man, y'all, that movie. Uh, black women, I love you. Seriously. One of my five, anyway. one of my top five favorite films of all time, right there. Color Purple. Oh, right really? There. Yes, sir. The movie's good. Yes, sir. Oh, wow. I gotta, yeah, check it out. Uh, well, I see. Okay, I don't know if I will. I don't know if I can. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, no. But what I'm saying is, for for some folks, or let's just talk about folks in dominant culture, you get to sit there for two hours, sit in your shame, maybe, mm-hmm. and then you're done. You know. And then for us, I, I, I think like sometimes we just go there to validate our experience. Yeah, that's like, yeah. I think you're right. Like we're not crazy. This 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 does happen. You know. Yep. I mean, I think for ninety percent of these movies, for ninety percent of these movies, we go because we got invited to go see them true oh my gosh and okay (laughs) hold up i'm gonna take a survey real quick and is it usually that you are invited by a white person because i remember when um when i watched when they see us a white family invited me over and i could not get past the first episode ditto yeah i'm not you know what abdul i never i never watched the rest of the series you didn't i haven't i haven't been able to 
Yeah. See, we got invited by, you know, by some brothers. Andres and I got, got invited by some brothers. And, yeah. and we were going to like do one week on each episode. Right. I couldn't, after the first one, I'm, I'm out. I'm out. No, here's the thing. You bowed out and you said it. I thought that I, I was going to, but I never went back to it. Really? Um, but, you know, like, you know, but here's, that's the thing. I was thinking about this. Like, would, would the three of us go watch The Help or by our own inspiration? <laughs> no. Would you, <laughs> as evidenced by the fact that I still haven't seen the movie. No, but movies oh. like that. But movies right. like that. You know. <sighs> 12 years a slave yes uh i don't think so i think yeah. we get in i never thought about this when i was thinking about this topic most of the time we get invited <laughs> so yes. i will go watch these movies i won't so i won't go for me i won't go so far as to say most of the time because because i think i've only been invited to those movies two or three times and they so were you like pay good last money on your own to go watch something like that um or have so, you well here's another question if, like how many how many have you seen yeah okay maybe so that's the other the question i saw get out on video oh well, i didn't see no, i didn't see i'm the not talking about like get out you know yeah. like um, oh what's uh, uh judas and the black messiah i was yeah. not going to see it because i i already know the story of fred hampton right mm -hmm. you know so i know the story and then when it came out on on streaming i was going to watch it on prime and not see it in the theater because I wanted to see it just in myself, in my home processing them. You know what I mean? So I wasn't going to go with it. Like, like, like when everybody went, I wasn't going to go, but I went anyway. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, so I didn't, but in general, I don't really go to black trauma movies. I never saw 12 years a slave. Well, yeah, I, I saw, I saw the original. There was an original PBS production, Solomon Northup's Odyssey with Avery Brooks back in the eighties, I saw that. And I read about Solomon Northup when I was a kid. And so 12 years a slave is a remake to that story, right? The movie has been, been made before already. So, um, I didn't have to go see it cause I've seen the movie already, yeah. <laughs> you know? And, and so have you guys seen green book? No, no. Wait, who is the main who's oh, who's yeah, the leading I green book know. i don't think i've watched it no, in what green book oh it's uh, Ma uh mahershala ali and vigo yes. mortensen there it is yep no i've not watched good it. memory yep yeah i mean <laughs> yeah <sighs> I, I don't go so you know and that's not to say i mean i don't know i mean we'll go if you get invited of course you know yeah but i never thought about this like a lot of times, at least in my experience, it's like, yeah, I've been invited. So Justine, to your point go. though, but to your point though, I kind of have the same thing about like some of like black love movies. Now, I know we're gonna talk about this this in a little bit, so so we'll I'll hold off on the full conversation on that. But I'll say this. Um there are some black love movies that I love because they're well done and they're mm -hmm. well written, but so many of them are just corny. Yes. Like, so, so I, I equate so many, like, like jump in the broom or some of those other movies that, oh. that have come out, you know, I equate some of those movies in the same way that I equate some of the really corny Christian movies that come out. 
Mm. You know, yep. like Fireproof and and hey, wait like a minute, Fireproof movies. is not that bad. That movie, the, uh, Facing the Giants. There's one scene <laughs> in that movie that's that's good. The rest of it is like one corny. Scene. Like all of those, like the, the whole the, the whole football scene where dude's dragging dude on on his back and uh, you know, give me another one, give me another one uh, from, from from Facing the Giants. That's good. We're gonna but, burn. We're gonna but burn. We're not supposed those, to talk bad about Christian movies. Those those movies are just corny. <laughs> they they just are. And they so are corny. They a, are lot, corny. a lot of those black love movies are very reductive. Mm-hmm. They're very, oh, yeah. they're too much. It's two dimensional. It's, it's, yes, it's, yeah. it's, it's two dimensional. It's exactly right. It's too and easy. And they also feed into stereotypes. Oh my goodness. I think they do. I really, I, I think they do too. You know, we watch a couple of episodes, a couple of shows on Netflix. Uh, the one with Jamie Foxx. And there's a new, yeah, he has a new one. Oh, the, the and, new sitcom and the one with Mike, with Mike Epps in them. Yeah, and then with the one with uh, yes, uh, no, no, with Mike Epps is another one. That's the yeah. one I was getting to with Kim Mike Fields. Epps and so it's Mike Epps, one of the Sykes, Kim Fields, and then I watched the, six minutes of it and turned it off. Oh my goodness! It's so it's so. I was base. so disappointed. I mean, Wanda Sykes on one show producing it, and then Jamie Jamie Fox on another show, and you two cannot make a good sitcom that's not stereotypical. And Yikes. and you got Kim Fields. Kim Fields is a TV veteran. Yeah, I mean you got you got Kim Fields from The Facts of Life. Kim Fields from Different Strokes. Kim mm-hmm. Fields from Living Single. Kim Fields from Good Times. <laughs> oh, she was she went on Good Times. That was her mom on Good Times. Yeah. But you know, anyway, but you got but, a legend. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and just these in the, in these corny in these corny two dimensional shows. I I, I yes. agree with you. Yeah. So anyway. Anyway, um, but but <laughs> yeah, it was the, the anti-liner notes. It was, it was. <laughs> so the thing that I would say about the fetishizing by trauma is simply this: like, Andres, you make a great a great point about about that being you know people using it as a as kind of a self-flagellation thing. But my question is, where was everybody? Like, why weren't folks showing solidarity before the trauma? You know, why do you need that to come show solidarity? You know, like, why do you need like those movies, like the help and the blind side and all that kind of stuff? And why do you need um, people to be being shot and killed and executed in the streets before you wake up and say, wait a minute. Now, on the one hand, I'm glad you're coming to the party. On the other hand, I would be disingenuous if I didn't ask you why you were so damn late. Right. You know? And so, and so for me, yeah, I, that's kind of how I feel about that. And so, and so there is, um, like, why do we fetishize black trauma, but not black love? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, like, and not just the black love movies, but, but like for real, for real, for real. Yeah. For real, for real. Yeah. Like the black. Yeah. Yeah. Like, why why do you only support our the, the our stories, whether they're fictional or, or or actual? Why do you only support our stories when when it's about our our trauma or our pathology or something like that? Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah. So I'm like, yeah. Remember uh, when it was a big deal about Whitney Houston and and Kevin Costner in the bodyguard? In the bodyguard, yes. That they yeah. couldn't make that them two into a, a couple uh-huh yeah anyway so I, I don't know i just i just think yeah show up for the joy 
Yeah. You know, and show up for the joy that's not based in the black triumph of white trauma. Mm. Ooh. Show up that that's okay. just the joy for its own sake. Show up for that. So anyway, that's that's as Forrest Gump says, that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right. So let's 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 transition here because this this is a long episode. But let's transition here in, into how do we recover and heal from black trauma? So, you know, again, I mentioned that, that there's going to be three areas that we talk about. So, um, first, setting boundaries. Right. So, one way that we recover from from black trauma and the effects of black trauma is just setting boundaries. So, like for me. Um, there's probably three or four things that I do specifically to set boundaries. So one, I just have chosen to withdraw from places and spaces that are toxic. And not that I hate the folks that are there or whatever. I just, I just know for me, it's healthier for me to just exit. You know, um, it's, it's, it, it helps me not be hateful. It helps me not be mean. It helps me not be vitriolic, you know? So, um, I get, I get asked for coffee dates <laughs> all the time from, from people in the community, you know? Uh, and so I say no. And, and a lot of them are like, you know, evangelical pastors and whatnot. And so I say no to a lot of those coffee dates with a lot of those folks in my community who want to meet with me because I have found that they don't want to meet with me for the sake of having conversation about progress and moving forward. They want to fetishize my experience. Oh yeah. I never thought about that. That's it. Now there have been a couple, like there have been a few, a few, a few genuine brothers in the faith who've come to me and we've had some great conversations and, and, and some friendships, you know, are, are, are developing kind of thing. But by and large, let me just hear your story. Oh, and at I first, I would that. say yes to that because I thought, stupid me, I thought that the telling of my story would result would in some change. Yeah, would be a catalyst. It does not. Right. And then I also thought that, okay, so here's one way that I can maybe kind of, you know, maybe have some influence or whatever, right? And so I've learned that because I have a pretty, a pretty wide network. network don't conflate network with influence. Mm. Preach. Right? So one way that I practice healing and recovery is, is, is I don't hold space for folks who want to have those kind of conversations anymore. Another way for me is I just spend more time with my family and saying no to leadership work and, and a lot of community work, honestly. Like there have been some really hard decisions I've had to make and things I've said no to, um, recently. And so, um, you know, for like, yeah, so I, I would consider myself, for instance, I'm not, I'm not an activist in, in, in a certain way. I'm more of a strategist. Hmm. I'm not the guy necessarily. So I've led, I've led marches and demonstrations, but I'm not the guy to go do the march and, and the demonstrating. I'm the guy that does the strategy. I'm a tactician. You know, and so I want to be able to text the mayor and say, hey, mayor, 
here's a this and this, or here's a question, or hey, hey let's grab breakfast, or let's grab coffee, because I want to run something by you, or, or I want to hear what you're thinking about that. I want to be able to do those kind of things, right? Um, so spending more time with my family and, and saying no to leadership work, um, but it, that's hard for me because there are only a handful of Black folks in my community that are really mobilizing against or for in favor of anti-racist work and anti-classist work, and even fewer still that are trying to work alongside our LGBTQ brothers and sisters and, and, and our non-binary folks. But I have to realize that I can't take all that on. I've got to say no to some things for the sake of my own sanity and my own health, because that stuff, again, race battle fatigue, that stuff, that stuff has an impact. Like, you know, Andres, like your boy, Res Momenicum will say, that stuff shows up in your body. And I've got, and, and I'm, I'm more aware of that these days. Um, and then, you know, for me as a theologically moderate to conservative Christian, I'm separating what is gospel and what is proper biblical and historical theology and hermeneutic and hermeneutic from what is white supremacy and what is politically conservative Christian culture. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's, but doing that is like trying to separate oil from water. So, mm-hmm. and then for me, the, the, the last thing is really simple. Part of how I recover from black trauma is I'm just being unapologetically black. If you got a problem with me being passionate or, 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 or direct, or you can call it, you can call it aggressive. You can call it angry, but that's a you problem. Exactly. And like I've said before, I am more and more and more not investing myself in you problems <laughs> so jay how about you like what do you do to recover um, and heal yeah when it comes to setting boundaries i think the first one is i am limiting my news consumption so i don't know you guys like yes. i just just i remember like growing up my dad this is a fun story but my dad trained us to watch news and so like just growing up, like every night you sit down and you watch news together. And so I just feel like news has just been part of my upbringing. And so now I'm having to kind of be like, you know what? I can, I can not watch the news as much as I maybe would want to because that can be traumatizing. Then I really liked um, Abdul's idea of like distancing yourself from things. For me, I find it to be very helpful and effective when I actually make a list. So I recently made a list, like tangibly put pen to paper, and I made a list of things, places, and people that I need to avoid. Ooh. That I, I'm like, you know what, Justine, you have to avoid this because this causes trauma. Um, and these people, places, or things are just not safe for you. And as a person of color, as a black person, that comes at a cost. You know, as Abdul said before, um, you know, like, like it literally can feel like you're being torn away from people because like you've built these relationships, you've invested your time, you love these people and these spaces so dearly. But at some point, you really have to prioritize um, your own health. So that's so that's how I'm setting boundaries in this season. That's good. That's really good. Yeah, I think the common theme on on setting boundaries here is just that we're all fleeing for the traumatic events like mm-hmm. so the image for me is like you go to a, a concert and it's loud right and next morning your ears are ringing mm. so the recovery for that is silence 
right? That's good. You know? So, Justine, you're being selective about the media that you're consuming. You're being selective about the people that you're hanging around. You're, Abdul, you're practically doing the same things. So, we're all doing the same thing. I think for recovery, I think it's that that silence, just getting away from that noise, getting away from those traumatic environments. Mm -hmm. And that may mean that we turn down going to see Jesus and the Black Messiah. Judas and the Black Messiah. But yeah. Yeah. You said Jesus and the Black Messiah. Okay. All right. Well, now Jesus gets Judas. (laughs) You're safe now, Justine. (laughs) (laughs) Finally. Oh, my goodness. Oh, man. Me. Anyway. Anyway. Yeah. Jesus and the Black Messiah. (laughs) Um, uh, It might mean just in this season for maybe for all of us, you know, that. We're not, we're not consuming that type of uh, mm-hmm. uh, media content. And same thing with me and podcasts. I mentioned before that I'm not listening to as many podcasts as I used as I used to. So that's that's how I I know that that that's how I'm setting up my boundaries. Just just silence. You know, it's there's, there's a lot of noise that I've consumed. I've been around a lot of noise and. You know, at the same time, I'm also engaging in some other noise too. So I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm picking, I'm picking the noise that I'm, I'm exposing myself to. Also, that's and good. Trying to be selective as to yeah. what I say yes to. Yeah, very good. And you know, Andres, I was going to say, like, I love that you use the word flee, right? Mm-hmm. Um, because fleeing means running away from a place of danger to a place of safety. So I Mm -hmm. just meant like, you know, like just you using that term was, was very good. Abdul, were were you going to say something else before we talk about cultivating space? No, that was it. I I was just going to just open that, open that part of the conversation up. So go ahead. Yeah. So next um, we are going to talk about cultivating space as a form of recovery and healing from black trauma. Um, And some things that I'm doing. Okay. Y'all. So first of all, I found this really cool study that I'm going to link in the show notes. Um, so there was a study done of African-American women and the researchers found that those who kept their everyday experiences of racism. So like, if you just sit there and you're ruminating over those experiences day in and day out, um, these African-American women had shorter telomeres. I hope I'm saying that right. Meanwhile, their counterparts who openly talked about their experiences with everyday racism had longer telomeres. Telomeres are the protective structures on each person's DNA. Mm. Longer telomeres indicate a longer life expectancy and chronic stress is known to shorten telomeres. Some medical knowledge for you there. So, so when it on. comes to. Okay. Just, just to clarify a question. So you said that people who, so women who don't talk about it have shorter yes. telomeres. So they have shorter resistance basically. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. In their DNA. Yep. So essentially, like the study was talking about um, African-American women who took time to process these experiences with their friends or their family members who were building a community, right? Mm-hmm. Instead of just sitting there alone and, you know, drowning in the pain and the trauma. Um, so anyway, um, how does that relate to cultivating space? The first thing is you need to cultivate a support system. Mm, yes. If you are a BIPOC person, 
we we cannot carry this weight alone. You need community. Um, I mean, like it's just so powerful to sit down with people who can relate to your experiences. Um, so seriously, like if you are in the Ames area and you don't have community, I want to be your community. Like I'm so serious. <laughs> like <laughs> I what you wish I for, really Jay. Do. <laughs> I really do because um, again, like trauma is heavy. It's hard, and and you are literally not designed to walk through this alone. You're not designed to do it. So I think, first of all, cultivating a support system. Abdul gave a great example. He's spending more time with his family and saying no to other things. That, that's an example of a support system. I think the second one is creating. So just expressing yourself through creativity can be very cathartic, right? So if you're a musician, if you're an artist, if you love to dance, those are some ways um, for you to cultivate space for healing. Um, I think also... Mm, recognizing and verbalizing your feelings. Again, that just goes back to processing. And part of this could be seeking a mental health practitioner, you know, just finding that safe space where you can open up and share things. Um, in the next episode, we're going to be talking about black love. So it's going to be really cool to hear how Abdul and Andres um, maybe share uh, about their experiences in the context of their marriage and their families and how verbalizing those feelings can actually be a way for you to uh, to create space for healing and recovery. Hmm. Andres, do you have any examples of how you create space? Well, I don't have an, an example um, per se, but there there was a there was a quote that I ran into when I was doing the research for this episode. And it and it says, um, "Make an empty space in any corner of your mind, and creativity will." instantly feel it mm. so that's true yeah cultivating space is about what brings you joy which we've talked about it's what we talk about in liner notes um so yeah. if, if anything it's just that i've been doing a lot of listening to music and that's mm -hmm. been where i've gone to my refuge um i've made space for that i've cleared space from listening to podcasts and just enjoying all sorts of music really i'm i'm like really being really open mm -hmm. to different music styles um some of us are commanded to rest um, <laughs> oh yeah yes you know doing you know and doing nothing sometimes isn't laziness mm -hmm. right sometimes it's sometimes it's health yeah and it's and it's definitely a restoration so yeah, I'm also trying to spend more time with family as well. Um, yeah, that's just been in this space of just wanting to be with with them, um, and with me, but just in music and where it takes me because it, it takes me places. So that's that's for me. And how about you, Abdul? How are you cultivating space, or what do you want to talk about when you talk about cultivating space? Yeah, so. I literally, I think, yeah, there's so much overlap here. So I, I was looking, li listening to, to Justine, and, and I have pretty much all the the, the, all the exact same stuff plus a couple more. So one for me, so one for me, um, I have to, so the spending time with my family thing is a hard thing for me 
not because I don't love my family, but because I, I, I'm a, I'm a goer and a hustler and a grinder and a doer. And there's always a new thing to accomplish and a new thing to conquer. So for me to just say no to that stuff and slow down is a big, big thing. So, um, but what's also a big thing for me is I could be up till two, three, four o'clock in the morning, just studying stuff for no other purpose than it strikes my fancy to go learn about it. And so that really is leisure time for me, but then my brain's always going and is always in problem solving mode or fixing something mode. So um, for me, part of how I cultivate space, and it's kind of that, some of that, that blank space you were talking about, Andres, is I, is I have to start, and I've been doing this now for maybe the uh, last couple months, but shutting off study time mm. and mentally, just mentally, I'm not going, I'm, I'm done studying. I'm going to put away the iPad or I'm going to watch a movie on it or something like that, but I'm not going to be looking up stuff and reading articles and you know, writing slide decks and working on the course. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not doing that. Um, and I've actually really starting, starting to dig the, the doing nothing mm-hmm. like this weekend. I didn't really, other than like cutting my grass and hanging out with friends, I didn't do a lot of quote productive productivity things, which for me, I, I'm switching that, 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 that there is Sabbath and that's not laziness and idleness. Like that's planned downtime. Mm-hmm. You know? And I even got a chance to get, like, get some naps in, <laughs> you know, a couple of, you know what I mean? <laughs> and so, um, yeah. So another one that I do like, to cultivate yeah, space. Cause, Cause you were the guy who said, God didn't rest until he was done. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Or like the roadhouse quote from the old movie roadhouse. I'll get all the sleep I need when I'm dead. Right. <laughs> You know, so yeah, that, that's right. So yeah, so I'm I'm learning how to s- like slow down and recharge the tank a little bit. Um, another one is having my home and my office and my studio space be relaxing and mm. a vibe, you know, um, and trying to eliminate conflict in my house. I have two teenage boys, so there's always conflict. <laughs> so. <laughs> But really trying to like tr- trying to piece out that a little bit and um, listening to music for sure has been a thing for me because I'm a music lover, you know. Um, also, and then trying to cultivate like I've been in in like I haven't been. I've said I mentioned this on a couple of, a couple of episodes before, but just the as a musician and a writer. I feel like that skill was kind of dying on the vine. And so I've been getting back to just playing, you know, turn on the keyboard, just do some scales, just kind of do a little playing around. Um, if a melody comes, I just kind of put it down, not to produce something, but just just to mm-hmm. just to just to create, you know, just to create just for me. You know, um, and not choking the life out of it. Okay, okay. Well, since I started this, I need to go finish and turn this into a whole song. No, you don't. I don't. Just I play it, and I'm done playing it. Then I move on, right? So, um, and then also getting better at expressing how I'm feeling. Mm. Now, for me, as like an Enneagram Eight, that doesn't come easily. I can tell you when I'm irritated. I can tell you when I'm frustrated, 
I can tell you, you know what I mean? But, but slow down and go, you know what? That was hurtful or that was, or I feel like this, or I feel melancholy or I feel, you know, whatever that just doesn't come naturally. And maybe even to some extent, some of that might even be, you know, recovering from like the toxic masculinity where men don't talk about that kind of stuff. Right. 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 Um, but, but yeah, just getting better at doing that. So, so those are all things that I do that kind of create, like create space, you know? Um, so yeah. So, so here's the last one then self-care, right? So what are y'all doing? And all of this really is self-care, but it's self-care broken down into three kind of concept areas. So um, if there's anything else in self-care that you guys haven't mentioned in the other two places, uh, Andres, what do you do for self-care? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I already talked about music. The other thing that I've been doing, reading books, I'm, I'm on my third book this year, um, which it's been a while since I picked up books also. So there's nothing, nothing that I haven't that I haven't mentioned. I mean, it, but self care is is my thing right now. It's my jam right now. I'm very mindful as to where my mind goes these days because I mm. my brain has already built an inner state that goes to depression very quickly. Uh huh. So I need to take care of my mind and protect my mind. Um. So, but uh, um, if anything, I was just I'm just mindful. I'm just very hyper aware speaking of hyper aware yeah of where my mind goes and that's why cultivating the space and and the other things that we were talking about um but how about how about you justine how are you doing your self-care Ooh, so first of all i just want to give a few quick examples because i think i don't know when people think of self-care um, it can be so easy to think that self-care has to be something expensive, like, oh, you know, a vacation or going out for dinner at a really cool place. Right. Y'all, right. Self-care can literally cost you zero dollars. Like self-care mm-hmm. could be something as simple, just especially now it's a little warmer out, like just going for a walk, yeah. you know, going for a walk, going for a run if you're a runner. Um, and that actually helps get your heart rate up, which is just good for your physical well-being. I think also just things like meditation, you know, like just being silent and processing your day. A lot of us are so used to just going, 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 like we have no time to even process. So just taking a break, um, journaling, if you like writing, that's a cool one. Putting pen to paper, very nice one. Music, music is great, y'all. This is, okay, I'm curious what your opinions are on this one, but I think, okay, for me, a big one, I'm going to share a quick story. When I started my job last year, um, I started my job literally during COVID mm-hmm. and I was working from home and I really wanted to succeed at what I was doing. And this is going to sound so crazy, but y'all, I kid you not, there were weeks where I would wake up at 6 a.m., I would make a cup of tea and I would not eat for the whole day. Mm. Um. And for me, it's because when I'm very busy, I can actually forget to eat. Like how I deal with my stress is just working, working, working and not really (laughs) taking care of my body, you know, like not nourishing my body. And um, um, okay, this is me just being very vulnerable. I am already underweight as it is. Every time I go to my doctor, he's like, yo, you need to gain weight. You need to gain weight because (laughs) no, seriously, he's like, you are underweight. And that is just not a healthy place for you to be. Um, And so during the first 
one month of my job, I had lost 10 pounds. I know. Yo. Yes. I had lost 10 pounds and y'all like, I was just like, like looking back, I was probably not in a good place mentally. We had all the George Floyd stuff going on. Um, And so part of, part of my way of coping was just like, you know what? I'm just going to be super focused on my work and not think about anything else. So anyway, all that to say, part of self-care is you taking care of your body. You know, like you say, you know what? I am going to make some good um, decisions. Like, you know, the Bible says that our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. Um, And so for some of you, that will mean that you need to eat more. Mm -hmm. Seriously, like you need to eat more. Um, <laughs> right. And right now I'm speaking to myself. So don't, anyway. Don't starve the temple. <laughs> See, I got the opposite problem. Yes. My temple is a little some, too full. Some of our temples. <laughs> okay. Anyway. Um, so that's another one that I could think of. Uh, da, da, da. Yeah. Mm, yeah also oh my gosh andresis was so good y'all mindfulness being aware of when you're feeling stressed up and tense just being in tune with what's going on with your system um you know like you can just stop everything count to 10 breathe in breathe out just i just feel like simple daily exercises really go a long way in helping with self-care that's good um so for me, like in this, in this area specifically, the one, the, the number one thing that I have been doing more and more of is getting back into the word, getting back into the scriptures oh. and, and, well, and um, plugging into the source. So, you know, like Colossians three talks about, you know, when Christ who is your life comes, right? But I love that that when Christ who is your life. So um I've been getting back into, into the scriptures for the purpose of hearing from God, not for the purpose of studying something. Mm. And and like the word and prayer, like good old-fashioned word and prayer. So um I mentioned, I think when when we came when our first episode back, that one of the things we did was we, you know, we, we were just having friends over and you know, we had we had Patience Luth, Doctor Patience Luth, and her husband Paul. You know, they're good friends of ours, and so we were over. They were over here once a few weeks ago, and we, and we just spent time praying. Mm. Listeners, when I tell you that Doctor <laughs> yeah. Patience yes. is she a prayer her? warrior, yeah. sweet Jesus, yes, I mean, yes. and so yeah, so like that started to open up something to me to to revisit communing with God. Yeah. And so plugging into the source in that regard has been my number one thing because I've been really trying to really in all this the simplest way I can say it is I've been trying to set my mind on the, on the things above. Yeah. You know as 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 Colossians uh, 3 says. And so so I've been really trying to get back to that and plugging into the source, communing with the Lord, communing with the Holy Spirit, and then not just starting with the reading. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm starting with, and so on the one hand, there's meditation and that kind of stuff, but on the other hand, there's actual prayer and the discipline and the diligence of prayer and going to your Abba for stuff. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's good. So I've been doing that 
more and more. Um, and that's been really good to just spend time just, you know, just hearing from God in that way. And then there's kind of some mindfulness and some meditation stuff in there too for me. But uh, you know what? I won't call it meditation. I call it relaxation. So one of my favorite things to do now is, um, you know, turn on like one of those YouTube channels with like the bamboo waterfall was just the water and the bamboo, the, the bamboo straw thing and the water pouring just kind of really kind of gentle, serene music. Like it's like day spa kind of music, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, <laughs> just playing that in the house all the time. Like if we're not doing something else, it's just relaxing the, like the, 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 the psychic space. I've been mm-hmm. doing that. Um, like you mentioned, Justin, in the very beginning, I have been cultivating a low news diet. Oh yeah. Because as a news junkie, and yeah, that's hard. It is. As a, a, yeah. And then junkie. as somebody who wants to be up on the current events and, mm-hmm. you know, as, as, as a political scientist and all that kind of stuff, I don't want to miss anything that's relevant to the work that I do. Mm-hmm. But then I can't be as plugged in because it's just not. I very, very much, I would say, have race battle fatigue. I do. And, I, and so I recognize I need to pull back from some stuff. So mm-hmm. that's what I do to kind of, to, to, for, like for self-care. And then, you know, great support system with great friends. You know, like there, there's been, there are plenty of days, if I'm working from home, I send Andres a text, be like, hey, what you doing for lunch? <laughs> and we just go crab lunch, you know what I mean? And, right. and, so, and so doing that, and then again, like, like I mentioned before, um, with the activism and the strategy stuff, really just kind of pulling back from a lot of that stuff. And so I think that's what I have been doing as I cultivate that. All right. This has been an amazing episode. I hope you get a lot from it. There was a lot to think about on this episode. So please, if you need to go back and listen a few times this week, please do so. Yeah, this is a long one. Yeah. Uh, All right, everyone. Just let's just keep it simple. Hopefully, <laughs> what do we want the audience to remember? What's what's the if they can take away one point uh, from our conversation or a series of points here? What would you like our audience to remember, Justine? Oh man, okay. The first one is, I would say. Be introspective, especially if you are a member of the majority culture. Just take some time to process ways in which maybe you fetishize Black trauma. And that could be, um, you know, obviously like movies and media and and maybe what you read, the kind of news that you like to read and stuff. But also in your friendships with BIPOC, what kind of questions are you asking? You know, is it just always, oh my gosh, share with me your stories, as Abdul said. Um, or or are you able to realize that Black people are multidimensional? We are so much more than our trauma, so much more than our trauma. So I think for me, that would be the one thing that, that I'd like people to remember. Yeah. Yeah. How about you, Abdul? Um, for me, it, it's, it's a similar vein. So for me, I would say if there's one thing to take away, my takeaway for the listeners would be this. If you are a so-called white person, um, understand that actually, no, I'll put it this way. 
whether you're black or not, or, or, or BIPOC, a person of color, or black or white, it doesn't matter. Understand that if you are a person of color, and if you're a white person, understand that for your people that you know of color and your colleagues and friends and everything, that these traumas that we're talking about, the or, or the microaggressions or the micro insults and the micro invalidations, those things, number one, are real, but number two, and most importantly, they cause actual damage. They cause actual psychological, psychic, and, phys and physical, biological damage. And so it's not just a thing that folks are making up. It's not just a thing that's in somebody's head. Like these, the cumulative effect of these things shorten lifespans and go with a whole host of things we, that we've already mentioned. Um, so that's the one thing that I would say, take away from this, that, that, that this, is, this, is, this is a real thing. Right. And Abdul, you, you said pretty much exactly what I was going to say. If there's one thing to remember is that this trauma that we've been talking about for BIPOC folks, especially, um, it's generational. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is stuff in the same way that you know how to tie your shoe and keep a conversation going that you don't even have to look down on your shoelaces and you just tie them. You just know it. There's certain things in our brains that we just know because we know, because it's, it's just, it's just been handed down. Yes. And that shows up somewhere else. And it shows up in our stress. It shows up in our health. It shows up how we react to things. Um, again, we keep talking about Resma Manikin and he, he mentions that, that, Trauma that's out of context shows up at personality in people. Yeah. Mm. Right? Something happened way down the line in context. Body kept a score like the book uh -huh. is, is called. But that trauma gets passed on, and then it gets passed on, and then it gets passed on, and then it's on me. But now it's, it's called personality. Yeah. Mm. That's good. That's good. So, anyway. Um, we have one more thing that Abdul, you wanted to talk about, and it's from a, a listener question. So we're going to wrap up with that question. So take it away. Yes. So, um, yeah, so the question I, I, I thought was a juicy one, so I wanted to bring it up because it's, it's a question that I get from a lot of people that I meet with and I've gotten that from a lot of people that I've met with recently. Um, and the coffee like dates and my coffee dates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um and you know some of those people have been uh listeners um to the podcast so uh and i get it you know from them and from speaking events and whatnot but uh the question is this why don't so the question came it was, it was to me specifically and then and then for us as a podcast why don't i talk more about racial reconciliation or why don't we as a podcast talk more about racial reconciliation so that that's the question okay and um my answer and i really will try to make this brief because i've mentioned i've mentioned my answer before to some of this but my answer basically is that i personally do not believe in racial reconciliation um i believe the concept is deeply flawed and our reliance on the concept is misplaced. So 
um, because to be reconciled, you have to have been together to begin with. Now, Christians use this racial reconciliation, I, I think, in a way that, I mean, I don't want to disrespect anybody who has a different perspective, but I just don't agree with the perspective, right? So, but Christians use it in a way that really skirts a really huge issue that we don't talk about a lot. Mm-hmm. As people, we can be reconciled to God through Christ because the reconciliation there comes from getting back to the original state before the fall. Mm-hmm. That's reconciliation. That was, there was relationship, something happened to break or damage relationship, and then you're on the other side of it and you have to figure out how to get back to the original state. Right? So as Christians, we can be reconciled to Christ and to some extent reconciled, because the scripture says so, to each other through Christ. Mm-hmm. However, too many Christians use that as a scapegoat from doing actual work because on this side of eternity, we were never together to begin with. So there's no reconciling anything. There's only conciling, right? So be- because the original state for us as people of color, as Native American folks in this, in this country has been one of opposition and bias and, in some cases, actual genocide and extermination. Mm-hmm. So, now I'm going to say this, and, and y'all might want to come after me after this, but so, if we want to get, like, if we want to re- like reconcile and get back to the original state, the original state for a person of color would look like this. The original state was conflict. So then we got to go back to conflict. And if we're going back to conflict, two things are going to happen. Either you got to go or I got to go. Both of us can't be together. That's the original state because the way that the game was set up was to be white as, as normal, white as standard, and everything else as subsets under that. That was the original state. So we're not reconciling to that because we were never together. So we don't talk about racial reconciliation for me personally, because I just don't believe in the concept. I believe, I believe the concept is completely not historically accurate to our context. Yeah, I agree. I mean, I mean for me, um, same thing, I, you know, when we, when we talk about reconciliation, yes, it's the reconciling to how things were, let's say Genesis two. Mm-hmm. And that's the reconciling for that and the search for harmony, peace, shalom, which we've talked yeah. about in the podcast. But that's not the reconciliation that most people are talking about. No. You know, so in the context of reconciling with each other, yeah, the setup, if, <laughs> you know, it's, 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 make, America, it's America, make America great again. Well, you know. What was it great? For some, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So there's no recon, there's no reconciling to what, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's yeah. only reconciling. It's going back to what we need to. But one one more thing that I want to add to what you were saying, Abdul, is just, um, and this is just recent, just from books, reading, and whatnot, is 
I think we want to get to reconciliation very quickly if we do want to get there and avoid the lament and avoid all the yes. negative emotions that come yes. up and yes. the guilt and all that kind of stuff. And there is some guilt that will, that needs to pop up. Yep. Some kept confession needs to be made, but we're not addressing the big issue in all this. It's like, we have to be quote unquote, okay with saying white supremacy and what it does mm -hmm. and, and racial difference. And, and have that conversation too before we even get to talking about diversity and talking about yeah. quote unquote reconciliation. So there's there's a lot of there's a big bridge that needs to be crossed first right. before you even begin to have those kind of conversations. Because if a lot of your your coffee date friends or your coffee dates don't want to talk about white supremacy, then there's no yeah. point in having more conversations. Well, and Let's keep it funky because I don't want listeners to, to, to miss what you just said. Reconciliation first requires confession. Mm -hmm. It requires Which confession. This country doesn't want to do. No. So, so there, there is forgiveness and restoration always comes with confession mm -hmm. and, and Contrition it's part of the Christian first. tradition. We have to confess. You have to confess. <laughs> you have you, to confess right? it. You have to so, do it. As a Christian nation, yes. you know, have so, we confessed? Bruh. Anyway, so there's, okay, some lamenting, <laughs> there's some lamenting and repenting that has to happen for conciliation to happen. Right. When people are asking for racial reconciliation, what they're really saying is, can we just forgive and forget? Can we forget it? Can we just get it? Get That's over what you're asking. Yeah. So keep it real about what you're asking right. and be honest with yourself. Right. Because what I'm asking for is contrition, confession, acknowledgement. Mm -hmm. And then forgiveness can be extended. But, and maybe this is an unchristian thought, but I'm going to say it. I'm not just going to forgive you just willy nilly. Right. Like two kids are fighting. Mama says, okay, apologize to your brother. You're, Sorry. You're just saying the words and you don't mean a dang thing. So that's why I don't talk about racial reconciliation. Justine, go ahead. You know, I totally agree with that. Um, this is actually interesting because last year I had a conversation with people about records, racial reconciliation and they wanted to be reconciled. And <laughs> dummy yeah. justine i was like you know yes totally and i left that conversation thinking they don't even know what they did they're they not interested in even knowing what they did you know and so yeah. um as abdul and andres have said oh my gosh y'all i am telling you whiteness is so pervasive because no i'm just saying no it's true no it it's, is. And here's it the is. there's a there's a great book that i just finished reading and mm -hmm. it's mostly for white folks but it's called white awake Oh, yeah, that's a good one. Yep. You know, and I was like, oh, it's wait written even by a pastor. I, yes, mm -hmm. even I, I was like, oh, wait a minute. I need to change mm -hmm. those, those required steps. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah. anyway, sorry, I didn't mean to. Uh, no, totally cool. Totally cool. Um, it's, no, so seriously, like I think for, for honestly, a lot of our majority culture people, it's like, oh, 
I just want to be reconciled to you so I can just move on and be your friend. You know, it's like, I want to not have to feel yes. the shame or the guilt yes. Yes. of mm-hmm. what this conversation or this process could mean. And I don't want accountability. I do. Yeah. Exactly. Back to, back to that word. Yeah. Right. And yeah. then y'all, here's the thing. A lot of times um, when white people, listen, if you're a listener and you're white, I promise I am saying this in love. We're not here to attack you. But anyway, a lot of white people um, want to have racial reconciliation on their terms. They want to have the conversation on their terms. Mm -hmm. They want to discuss what they want to discuss. A lot of times there will be micro invalidation, microaggression going on. And for me, I'm just like, you know what? This is below my pay grade. I am not paid (laughs) enough to have this conversation with you. Um, Thank you. Well, and, and, and please hear if you're white. Well, if, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, you're like, these people are crazy. (laughs) But if this is not your first time and you're a regular listener, you understand what we're saying. What we're saying. Yeah. Yeah. By now, we hope. Right. Yeah. What we're so we will oppose the construction of whiteness and how it shows up for for folks at every turn. We're not opposing people People. of European descent. Yeah. This is not an individualistic argument at all. The only, the only time that we will oppose the individual is when you as the individual are acting from the script of whiteness. Mm -hmm. Right. (laughs) Right. So that's where the opposition comes in from. It's not a dislike or hatred of anybody, but it is a fierce and vehement hatred, hatred system of this whiteness thing. Yes. Yes. Fiercely and vehemently. Yep. And what it's doing and what it continues, what it has done and continues to do and what it wants to do tomorrow. Yes. And what it will do tomorrow without your help. And your silence. And, And yeah. So. Well. That does it for us for now. As always, if you like the show and the content, if you're encouraged or challenged by it, please like, subscribe, share, and drop us a review. Um, Don't be afraid to do all three because that helps folks find us and hopefully join the community. And as we always say, we can always use more soldiers. And thanks, y'all, for all the love. And if you have any questions about anything we cover on the show, this is a big topic on this one. If you have topics you want to discuss, if you have just want to reach out to us, become a member of our community on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Christian soldier. That's S O U L J A H or email us at hello at Christian soldier.com. So thanks again for listening. I'm Abdullah. I'm Andres. I'm Justine. And until next time, y'all keep the faith. Peace. Pass. Amani. The Christian Soldier Podcast is brought to you by the Christian Soldier Collective, a Jesus-centered community dedicated to the pursuit of unity, cultural and ethnic conciliation, and social justice within the church. Theme song is The Ace by Ballpoint. The Christian Soldier Podcast is a production of the Christian Soldier Collective and Monarch Training and Development.